Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Welcome to episode three of Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, and we're going to be talking about a really basic seed saving technique today how and where to store those half-filled leftover packets of seeds that you have somewhere in the house. Did you look in the garage? I really hope they're not there. And the reason you may want to start searching the house for those seed packets now is because if you're going seed shopping, you just might not find seeds of popular varieties of vegetables at the nursery or online right now because many of them have been swooped up And for that, you can blame the anxiety surrounding the coronavirus pandemic. We'll talk with the president of a seed company about why orders are not getting refilled for customers and stores and what you can do to better store your current supply of seeds to guarantee that they will germinate next year and the year after that. And we get to bring in college horticulture professor Debbie Flower to answer your garden questions. And today's question deals with a common problem with backyard and indoor citrus trees, yellowing leaves. Plus, we have a nifty way to stick tomato and pepper plants in the ground. It's a method guaranteed to produce stronger plants. Welcome to episode three of Garden Basics with Farmer Fred. Let's get started. Recently, I was talking with the manager at a local nursery here in Northern California to see how spring is going, what's selling, things like that there. And then he told me something very interesting. This is Quentin Young from Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery here in Sacramento. All kinds of vegetables, um, herbs, uh, seeds, tools, obviously, to get their gardens in, fruit trees, um, fruiting vines, citrus trees, basically anything that can produce fruit people seem more interested in this year. Um, So it's just nice to see that interest. And then people are making it a family event, you know, so that the parents are figuring out what's going to go where, and then they're getting the family and the kids to help them do it. How many people are trying to tackle this from seed versus transplants? Well, so the seeds sold out. Um, we sold out a lot of seeds this year. I think probably the same logic behind people buying flour and yeast to the grocery stores. Um, I don't know how many people actually use the seeds, but we sold out so many seeds that our seed companies aren't able to restock until July at the earliest. Wow. Um, so now um, most people are interested in just starting with starts. And what Quentin said is very true. Travel around to local nurseries, you may see empty seed racks. What's going on? Is it due to the coronavirus epidemic? Well, it just might be. In fact, uh, I've heard from some seed growers that uh, it's, this seems to happen every time there's a, a national emergency. There's a run on seeds. And if you've checked online seed companies lately, you can see that there are delays in delivery. There are a lot of varieties sold out. So for those of you who have purchased seeds, what is the best way to save them from year to year, just in case? Let's talk with Renee Shepard. She's with Renee's Garden, the Garden to Table Seed Company, based up in the mountains above Santa Cruz in Felton. And Renee, these are interesting times we live in, aren't they? Well, interesting. It's certainly interesting, and it's been a real challenge for us in the seed business. I would, I would imagine so, what with uh, empty seed racks at nurseries that I've been hearing about and the fact that uh, if, if people go to your website, reneesgarden.com, they may see some of their favorite varieties uh, not available and won't be available until later in the summer. 
Well, that's right. And oddly enough, in, in this case, we are, it's really more of a supply chain problem, simply kind of like toilet paper and paper towels. In, in other words, um, we are just out because the available supply got was such a huge demand. So, for example, at the beginning of the coronavirus shelter in place, normally on a Monday, we would get maybe in our smaller company, three or 400 orders on a Monday, and we started to get 2,500 orders instead. And those huge four or 500% increases, those hit just about everybody in the seed packet business nationwide, all the companies. So the people who either sell them online or in a catalog, as well as companies like mine that also sell to garden centers and nurseries, most of us had delivered initial orders to garden centers and nurseries, but, but then we got huge demand. So we all in the seed packet business, we, pat, we figure out, okay, we sold X thousand packets of, let's say, lemon cucumber last year and the year before. So we'll probably sell the same amount this year plus uh, an increase that we hope to get. And that's how many we pack it at, for the spring season. And usually that supply, if we'll do it decently, if we project well, that'll last us through the spring. But this year, it all got sold out really quickly. So we're simply out of seed packets. There's no seed shortage. Last year was a very good year for, in the seed production business. So this is really about the seed, our ability to pack it up, seed for 2020. Are you currently packing seeds, or are the people that you're buying seeds from, are, are they out? No, that's what I want to assure you. The people that grow seeds in a large scale for the home garden packet business. There's no shortage of seed. It's the fact that we're all out of packed up inventory and we in the seed packet business usually start packing at this time of year for the next season, for 2000, what we call the 2021 season that starts this fall. Most of us are making the decision not to break into our 2021 inventory to keep this season going because then we'll run out then we will run out next year. So we're just out of current inventory because there was huge unprecedented demand for seed packets all of a sudden. Who is who is buying those? Is it regular customers or are they hoarders or are they people trying to resell it on the internet? I'm sure there's some of all of that, but um, we on our home garden side because we do have an online site, obviously, we haven't seen people ordering tremendous amounts of packets. No, we've just seen a tremendous number of people who are sheltering in place at home and always meant to have a garden or thought of what can I do with the kids or I think I want to grow my own food or there's a lot of new gardeners trying it for the first time. And there's a lot of people who are saying, um, maybe I want to order some packets for next year too. I don't know the answer to that. As far as people buying seeds to resell them on the Internet, that's been happening for a long time. We, we find our seeds uh, sold on a whole, by a whole lot of people. There's nothing we can do about that. What seeds do you currently have in stock? Well, you have to go on our website to see. My advice to gardeners would be, and going to nurseries too, is if you've always grown Sun Gold Tomato, You may go to the nursery or online or mail order and see that you can't find any. This might be the year to try something different. (laughs) We don't sell any varieties that we haven't carefully trialed and don't think are 
excellent for home gardens. So um, prepare to find that your favorites may be sold out, but that doesn't mean there's not lots of, there are other choices. And we are more sold out of vegetables than we are of flowers. So if you always thought you might want to plant a few pollinator flowers, this might be a really good year to play around with flowers and herbs. Yes, indeed. To start a pollinator garden is part of a successful vegetable garden. So, uh, you know, when life hands you a lemon, you make lemonade gardeners, and that's what you do. I think I think you just have to be okay with maybe not planting your same things or your first choices. Try another variety or a new variety that we've all got to make do and figure out how to just get through this, right? Exactly. How are things going in the way of employment at Renee's Garden? Is is, is the COVID-19 virus working its way through your personnel? No, we haven't had anybody who's gotten sick. Um, our staff in the office here in Felton are all working from home. Fortunately, we're a computer-based business, so that wasn't too hard to set up. Our warehouse, which is actually in Boulder, Colorado, in the middle of the country, is working full-time. Everyone's working as much as they can with proper distancing and masks and so on. But it it is tough to keep up filling and and mostly shipping orders in this situation. Yeah, that's a question I've been getting a lot lately, and people don't understand that nurseries, seed suppliers are all part of agriculture, and agriculture is essential services. Uh, That's true. It varies widely across the country because we sell all over the country. There's a few states in which nurseries have not been exempted, and that's been really tough for for them. For those, we are providing seed packet fronts in a download so that they can try and sell what they have online themselves. So... Um, but you know it's kind of it's hard to set that up from scratch if you've never done it. So I think it's it's tougher in some other states, better here, but there are lines at nurseries because of social distancing. So just be patient. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's one of the uh, new normals I think for all of us uh, going forward is exercise more patience. So let's talk about saving seeds. If people bought a lot of seeds, they obviously don't need to start all of them. I hope they wouldn't start all of them unless they're uh, they're farming. But uh, for the most part, people are going to have leftover packets. And I, I hope to goodness they're not just leaving them on a counter in the garage and are doing something to properly save those so those seeds might be able to be used in future years. What is the proper way to save a packet of seeds? Well, first of all, Different seeds have different, um, you know, they will hold their germination for different amounts of time. So, for example, fruity uh, vegetables, fruiting varieties such as uh, cucumbers, peppers, tomatoes, uh, they'll be good for two, three, four years, whereas leafy greens don't hold their germ as long. But almost everything you buy now will be good for at least another season or two. And if stored properly and Proper storage for seed packets means cool and dry. Their biggest enemies are heat and humidity. So never keep them in the garage or your garden shed. Always keep them indoors where you would be comfortable. So in the summer, if if you're in an area that you'd want to have air conditioning, that's where your seeds should be too. For really long-term storage, like more than a year or so, you keep them in a sealed mason jar in the refrigerator to keep the, sorry, in the freezer to keep the moisture out and always bring jar to room temperature before you take the seeds out. But if you're just saving them to next season, just keep them cool and dry and you'll be fine um, and or share them with other people. 
Is it okay to put them in the vegetable crisper in the refrigerator or should they go into the freezer if you're saving them long term? I don't think putting them in a vegetable crisper makes has any particular advantage. I, I think if you're buying seeds from a reputable company and you're not buying the, you know, five for a dollar packet, um, those are already old probably. So if you're buying fresh new seeds and you keep it in a, in a Ziploc bag in a cool, dry place indoors, you really shouldn't have much trouble um, saving the seed till next season anyway. Or if you want to keep it for two, three, four years, then you go the freezer route. Is, is a plastic bag better than a paper bag? A paper bag's fine, too. All right. Now, in past years, I've always suggested if people want to save their seeds, use the original packet it came in, put them in a paper bag, label the bag, and put it in the coolest, driest place in the house. And for a lot of people, that might be under your bed, but leave some notes around as far as what you left under your bed. In the summer, the hot weather, most do most people in your area have air conditioning or not? Oh, yes, yes. Then if you're in an air-conditioned house, then those temperatures are fine for, for one season storage. You don't really have to go to special extremes. Hum, humidity and extreme heat are the enemy. Most fresh seeds that you buy at a garden center, you can certainly keep them one season. For longer storage, you need to talk, uh, uh, freeze them. Alternatively, you buy the broccoli and have someone else buy the lettuce and then share packets. Most garden seed packets contain enough seed to feed a family of four or six with a little left over because we put enough seed in the packets that if the cat walks over the bed or something doesn't come up, you'll have, you can replant. And also because seeds do not germinate at 100%, there's natural germination rate. Tomatoes might be high 80s to low 90s. Um, but if you grow, if you were wanting to grow lavender seed, a good germ would be 50 or 60 percent. That's why we provide more seed. So it's good to plant a little more and then thin them out to the recommended spacing on the package. And that's really essential when you plant from seed. Whenever you go to plant seeds, follow the directions that are listed on the back of the package. They'll tell you exactly what to do and how to thin them and how to grow them. Renee Shepherds with Renee's Garden based in Felton here in Northern California, the Garden to Table Seed Company. Well, uh, Renee, best of luck to all of us, and we hope to have uh, more normal times ahead. Well, we finally had some good rain and finally getting beautiful, so I think it's going to be a great year to be outside gardening. At least we can all be assured of that. We are grateful for a beautiful spring. There's no question about that. Renee Shepard, thanks for a few minutes of your time. Sure, glad to do it. Great gardening to everybody. Here on the Garden Basics Podcast, we want to answer your garden questions. A couple of ways you can do that. Give us a call, 916-292-8964. That number again, 916-292-8964. You can either leave a message or you can text that number as well. Be patient. There are a lot of rings before we pick up. Another way is email. Send your garden questions to fred at farmerfred.com. That's fred at farmerfred.com. One benefit of email is you can attach a photo of a bug or a plant that you're trying to identify. We're looking forward to hearing and seeing your questions. And thanks for listening to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. I appreciate all your support and all your comments. 
on the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, we like to answer your garden question. You just heard how you can call in your questions. Well, of course, you can also send it via email to fred at farmerfred.com. And don't forget all the social media where you can leave a question. There's the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, at Farmer Fred on Twitter, or Farmer Fred Hoffman on Instagram. Feel free to leave questions at any of those locations as well. Helping us answer garden questions is my favorite college horticultural teacher, retired, Debbie Flower, who has uh, worked in horticulture throughout the country. So she has a wide knowledge of situations that may be facing you. And Debbie, let me get this right. You've you've gardened in New Jersey. You've, yes. You've gardened in Oregon. Yes. You've gardened in Arizona. Yes. And you've gardened here in California. Yes. Good. You can answer all these questions then. Also Reno oh. and Puerto Rico and New York. Yeah, I got around. Okay. Well, if we get any questions from Puerto Rico, I'll be sure to aim them at you. All, all right. right. Uh, okay. Uh, first question comes in from uh, John. And he has a citrus question. So for those of you that uh, have citrus trees, uh, this may be similar to what you're seeing on your tree this time of year. He says, I have several citrus trees, but this grapefruit tree we planted last year has had yellow leaves from the get-go. And no matter what I try, they stay that way. I fertilize all my citrus and other established trees. Well, they love it. But this grapefruit is a problem. Now a kumquat next to this one and a new mandarin further up the hill are getting a couple of yellow leaves also. I dug up one and the roots didn't look too good. There was still sawdust packed in. So I shook it out and replanted it into a pot. A few days ago, it was still looking rather poorly. And so I mixed in more citrus fertilizer into the soil before planting it again and used some bat guano fertilizer to see if that helps. I also cut back the top a little. Do you have any ideas? Debbie, it sounds like John's Ooh. working too hard on this. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Boy, he's done a lot to that tree. He's also put a lot of things into the soil uh, that those roots are growing in. One thing I would look at is how deeply he planted it. If you plant a citrus too deeply, it goes for many other uh, woody plants as well, meaning that the uh, soil is covering part of the trunk the, uh, close to the root zone, then they will suffer and you will see yellow leaves. He needs to give it time to recover when he keeps moving it from place to place. And evergreens citrus are evergreens and when they get new leaves growing he mentions that the other two besides the grapefruit are starting to show some yellow leaves as well when new leaves come out on an evergreen plant and citrus are evergreen plants then the an old set of leaves will turn yellow and fall off and so patterns like that older leaves will give us information and in the case of a citrus it could very well mean that the new leaves are coming on and the old leaves are being sacrificed and that's very normal for the plant. Another way citrus develops yellowing leaves is, is kind of natural this time of year as winter transitions into spring. If the soil is wet or cold, it, it may just have yellow leaves, but which would indicate a lack of uh, nitrogen uptake. Right. The, the roots just aren't functioning. The soil is just too cold. And so the, the roots are, are not taking up the nitrogen. It, it may be there in the soil, but the roots aren't getting it because of the uh, temperature. They're sort of in a maybe hibernation type type situation. He he is desperate to save his tree. It sounds like, and he's put a lot of things. He's put citrus fertilizer and bat guano and 
a lot of things into the soil and, and that you really don't want to, you can poison a plant by putting in too much fertilizer into the soil. So without having any other indication of deficiency, uh, I I'm, wouldn't want him to put more uh, nutrients, fertilizers and guano and that sort of thing into his soil. Exactly. My idea would be, oh, I'll leave it alone and uh, watch it recover. And probably as the soil warms up and maybe dries up a little bit, too, there'll be more nitrogen uptake of, uh, of fertilizers that are there in the soil. But uh, give it time. Give it a chance to recover on its own. Your point about drying up is a good one, because he says that the other two citrus that are just beginning to show these symptoms of yellowing leaves are up the hill. So if they're up the hill, the grapefruit is at the bottom of the hill, and the bottom of the hill is where water will collect. And so it could be in the wettest soil. So, yes, it may very well just need to dry out and and move into warmer weather, and everything might be hunky-dory from there. There is some good information from the University of California about yellowing citrus leaves, uh, because yellow citrus leaves could be yellow for any number of reasons, uh, any number of nutritional deficiencies. But if you go online and you go to the UCIPM website, and uh, look up diseases and disorders of leaves and twigs of citrus. You'll get some great pictures of different patterns of yellowing leaves and the problem that might be associated with that. So without knowing uh, John's situation as far as if there's a pattern to the yellowing or just an overall yellowing, we really can't give much more information than what we, what we already did. Absolutely. <laughs> so, John, basically just leave that citrus tree alone. Give it a chance to recover. And if it isn't better by May, let us know. Don't forget, you can get your garden questions into the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast through a myriad of ways, including uh, leaving it via telephone, 916-292-8964. You can also text your question there, 916-292-8964. Email it in to fred at farmerfred.com. And you can leave it on a number of social media outlets, including the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page or on Twitter at Farmer Fred and Instagram, Farmer Fred Hoffman. Debbie Flower, we learned a lot. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. Hey, wait a minute, Debbie. Don't go away yet. Let's give out a quick tip. Absolutely. It's interesting that two of the most popular summertime vegetables, tomatoes and peppers, can be planted deeply, and I mean way deeply. So let's say you buy a, an eight-inch tomato plant at the nursery and you go to transplant it into your garden, you could actually bury, what, six inches of that eight-inch plant. It's one of the, uh, the things I told my students in horticulture education, you learn the rules and then you spend the rest of your life learning the exceptions. And this is an exception that you can plant the plant much more deeply into your garden than it was in the pot. Why is that? Well, they have the ability to make roots on their stems. If you've grown tomatoes before, perhaps you've seen that as the, the branches get older and bigger. And sometimes they sag and you'll see bumps along the stem. And for for that plant, they are able to make roots there. 
And that's great, if you, especially if you've started tomato plants from seed and maybe they've gotten a bit lanky. And uh, if you tried to plant it at soil level in the garden, it would just fall right over. Well, one way around that is to bury it deeply. But I guess you could also, if you wanted to, if you couldn't go deep, maybe you could go long and dig a trench and uh, bury most of it in the trench and leave the top couple of inches sticking out. That may be the better choice if the plant is very tall. Because if you, let's say the plant is two feet tall, if you dug a foot and a half deep hole, the roots are going to be really low in the soil and maybe out of reach of oxygen and water. So the trench idea would definitely work. So you just dig a trench along uh, the soil, uh, lay the plant in it, and turn it up at the end. You may need a stake to make the end stand up straight, but that's okay. It'll be a well-rooted, and it's really an advantage to the plant because now it has so much more rooting system, and it takes a lot of roots to make a lot of tasty tomatoes. Do you have to strip off the lower leaves when you plant it that way? You do not. Oh, what about pepper plants? Can you do that the same way as well? Yes, you can do that the same way as well. Well, that how easy do you want it? Boy, that's great. You know, you can just dig a trench and uh, plant it, leaving the top sticking out. And would you leave out what, the top two sets of leaves, or how much would you leave out sticking above the soil surface? The top two sets would probably be my minimum. You could leave more if, if you've got a sturdy plant and want more of a presence above ground. Now, we should point out that as you pointed out, Debbie, this is the exception, not the rule. Generally, when you buy plants at the nursery, uh, you want to plant them at the same depth that they came in in the pot from the nursery. And uh, this is the exception. Absolutely. It is the exception. Yes. So don't screw it up, folks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but grow your tomatoes, especially tomatoes and peppers. They're they're easy productive plants. It's so satisfying. Exactly. Debbie Flower, always a pleasure. Thanks for a great garden tip. Thank you, Fred. Well, today, Friday, April 17th, is kind of special for me. It's uh, the eighth anniversary. The eighth anniversary of what? After being diagnosed with four cholesterol-jammed heart arteries back in March 2012, I underwent quadruple coronary artery bypass graft surgery on April 17th, 2012. Hey, and I'm still here. And to complicate matters, at that same time, I was told, and actually to my total surprise, that I had full-blown type 2 diabetes with an A1C number of 10.4. And those of you that are familiar with diabetes are familiar with A1C numbers. 10.4 is not good. That's really high. Well, fortunately, the surgery went well, and the long road to healing from heart disease and diabetes began. And thanks to regular exercise and healthy diet, I lost 60 pounds. The arteries that now service my heart are still flowing without problems. The blood sugar levels are way down, that A1C level, now at 6.0, and that's near normal. And also, to the amazement of the doctors, within eight months of surgery, I no longer needed to take any prescription medications for either of those ailments. And they agreed. It was with their blessings, of course. Well, it's now years later, and I am still prescription-free with the help of eating good food and regular exercise. Now, I'm not a doctor or a nutritionist. I, I'm just a guy, a guy who's lucky to be alive, a guy who could have easily keeled over and died 
back in March of 2012. But I'm still here, and uh, my philosophy is shut your mouth and move your feet. And a lot of it involves gardening. Plus, I ride my bike about 100 miles a week now. So what tips did I use to be able to wean myself off prescription medications and get back to a normal life? My primary method for keeping me on the straight and narrow is to write it down. Track all the foods and liquids you consume, as well as time spent exercising. I use the MyFitnessPal app for that, but there are plenty of others that do it as well. Read the label of whatever you eat. Pay attention to serving size, calories per serving, sugar and fiber content. By the way, speaking of sugar and fiber, added sugar is your enemy. Too much sugar in the diet can make you susceptible to many diseases, not just heart disease and diabetes. Read the book Fat Chance by Dr. Robert Lustig for more information about that. Now, if sugar is your enemy, well, I'm here to tell you soluble fiber is your friend. Studies at the Mayo Clinic and other institutions have shown that soluble fiber may help lower blood cholesterol levels by reducing low-density lipoproteins, the bad cholesterol levels. Soluble fiber may have other heart health benefits, such as lowering blood pressure, blood glucose levels, and inflammation. So what I try to do every day is eat more fiber and eat less sugar. My goals are to eat at least 35 grams of fiber per day and less than 45 grams of added sugar per day. So the goal is to choose foods with more fiber than sugar. And I was in my 60s when all this happened. And you are not too old to achieve better health either. People who eat right and exercise can substantially reduce their risk for cardiovascular disease and death, even if in their 50s or 60s or even their 70s. And that's where gardening comes in. Besides being good exercise, you're growing healthy food. Fruits and vegetables full of soluble fiber. If I can do it, I bet you could too. Thank you for listening to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. Be sure to subscribe. 